Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hello and welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. My name is Melanie Boylan and today I'm joined by two eminent guests. First up, I have Mr. Stephen Lewis, who is a media consultant in the entertainment industry and an author. And he works currently in the internal and external messaging for that industry. I'm also joined by respected member, Dr. Rebecca Weindrup, who's an emerita, professor of communication and author. And works at home occasionally. So thank you for joining the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks. Glad to be here. So tell us about this incredible Mm. book. Let's start with Rebecca, first of all. Tell us about this book and why you feel there is a general need for this particular type of book today. The, um, The notion of personal credibility has always been something that um, people should should think about. But in the modern day of all sorts of different communication technologies and the intense demands in the workplace, um, it's just gotten um, more and more intense. And um, we thought that although there've been a lot of books on communication, nobody had really focused on the issue of of credibility capital. How do you build your um, bank, if you will, of credibility? And what will get you in um, difficulty um, and um, unplanned withdrawals, if you will? And so that was the trigger for our um, collaboration on, on this we look at it through a lens of personal communication um, style and skills and um, the way people present themselves. Hmm. And so that's, um, but that's so, that's the basis of your credibility. Okay. And, And the name of the book is? Incredible Communication uncovering the invaluable art of selling yourself. And that really is um, an incredible art in itself, isn't it? It's so difficult to sell oneself. Um, so Stephen, how did you and, and Dr. Weintraub get in contact in the first place? Have you known each other long? Uh, no, that's actually a great story. I, I did want to say that also that the genesis of the book itself came during the time of fake news being proliferated everywhere. <laughs> and we were just in a in a sort of a state of you didn't know who to trust or why to trust. And it just seemed like the perfect time to really kind of break down what did what were those qualities, whether it was someone's experience or whether it was someone's ability to just project a certain way, whether it was, uh, you know, thousands of Twitter followers or whatever it was, what was the essence of their credibility and in turn, how to understand that 
and then apply some of those rules to yourself so mm -hmm. that you could be stronger. Because it, it is, you know, as Rebecca says, credibility capital, when you walk in for a job interview or, or you meet somebody for the first time, immediately they just want to know sort of why I should care about you. Why mm -hmm. should I believe you? And, and trying to really break that down into, in, into what's tangible and what assets we all have was the, um, was the point of kind of launching into this, this, this field in itself. Uh, now, how Rebecca and I met is it, sort of an interesting story because um, I had had a, a preliminary plan for the book and I had had decided it got rejected a couple times. I'm not not embarrassed to say that. Uh, and I decided that I really what we were talking about here required more of an academic bent to it. And and I was looking for not just my sort of gut feeling and not just my experience with celebrities or or the motion picture industry, but I really wanted it to be grounded in in psychology and 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 really, you know, real world practice. And so we put out uh, sort of a feeler to find um, a, a professor in, I, I live in the Los Angeles metropolitan area. And the idea was to find someone that we could collaborate on and, and you know, work together on the book. Well, um, March 2nd, we met at USC and had a lovely lunch. And then that was the last time that we ever saw each other in person <laughs> for, for a full year while we wrote the book because wow. uh, COVID happened and uh, it was, uh, you know, you had to make the best of it. And, and we were able to use Zoom and write chapters back and forth and it actually worked out just great. So, and we have become very good friends since this all happened. Yep. Our second meeting was in person was May 10th, celebrating um, having um, submitted the manuscript to our publisher. Goodness me. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's quite some thing to overcome, really, isn't it? I mean, apart from anything else, you didn't know each other and you probably would have had different personal leanings in creating this book. So how would you uh, make a decision Let's talking about communication here. Sure. How would you make a decision as to what went in or how something was put across? Well, what we discovered pretty quickly was that we had a similar perspective on the subject of communication. And we had a similar writing style, which was more conversational, I think, than, than, than just sort of a, a straight, just a straight uh, you know, linear book. Um, and once we kind of established those underpinnings of, 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 of understanding, it was not difficult for, for, say, for me to write a chapter and then send it to her and her write a chapter and send it to me. And, and like I always said, the, the, the greatest compliment was when we couldn't remember who wrote what. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is quite a compliment, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, Stephen and I, um, um, to put this in terms of the book, um, have a great deal of credibility around communication, but from two very different perspectives. So although I was a professor, I also spent time in the corporate world, but I was in aerospace. And then I, I consulted for a variety of companies. So I had a, I had a greater breadth. Stephen had greater depth. 
And then I brought um, sort of the, um, the, the communication um, theoretical research-based underpinnings. Hmm. And, um, you know, we, there were certainly a few times when Stephen wanted something to go in one direction. I wanted it to go in another. And I couldn't tell you what those were anymore. Although a few of them were around chapter names. So obviously nothing that was particularly uh, critical, uh, but we could talk about it. And we could talk about why we had the perspective we had. Um, I'm, um, I'm data driven. Um, and we could um, find where, A, who is it most important to? And B, was, um, was it something that was cosmetic, if you will? You know, um, I don't consider language cosmetic, but was it in the terminology, in the phrasing, or was it deeper? I would say that most of those conversations ended up with us realizing we were in violent agreement. Oh. And yeah, that's um, true. But but there were semantic issues yeah. that that sort of hid that. But it was as um, easy and flowing um, a collaboration as, as one could have. And um, I, I suspect um, each chapter went back and forth between us three, four, maybe five times. So by the time it was done, you know, it was truly, um, as they would say in the old Star Trek series, a Vulcan mind meld <laughs> of our two approaches to communication our knowledge base and our experiences. My goodness, you're totally speaking my language today, Dr. Wanda. Um, right, I wanted to ask, because <clears throat> you gave me a great segue there, um, and thank you for that. Who is this targeted for? Who, who is going to be looking to purchase this particular book? It, you know, it's interesting you asked that question because um, we've kind of gone back and forth on the subject. And uh, I think as, as we've had the opportunity to reread it as part of the editing process, that it's, it's changed a bit. Um, I, I think, you know, we thought probably the young professional, the someone who, someone who has been in the working world, maybe in their thirties or you know, mid to late thirties, who have some experience, they probably have done some things right, some things wrong in how they've conducted themselves in, you know, in their, in amassing their credibility and how to relate to people, have to communicate with people in their, in their office space. But I know what's kind of jumped out at me and I have a 23 year old son. Um, there's a lot in there that I want him to know even before he gets too far into into the, the business world um, because there's a lot of ways to avoid some mistakes and to really begin to take stock of who you are. And, and you know, one of the things that we, we talk about, especially in the presentation section, is this whole idea of there's no such thing as a perfect 10. And there is, you know, you can have an idea of who you think is a great emoter and a great speaker and a great communicator but you really have to look at yourself. You have to look at your own personal strengths and, and that's physical, that's mental, that's experiential. 
um, to really be the best that you can be. So I'm leaning now towards a younger uh, group that might want to, uh, it's sort of like when you used to, if you ever stumble across the teacher's uh, edition of a book where you could look in the back and find all the answers, <laughs> um, <laughs> this one, you may be able to you may be able to make some important changes and build some important foundations on the, on the rest of your career. The, um, I have a brother who's toward the end of his career and I would send him the occasional chapter um, and his, his reaction was always, oh, I wish I had known this. Or let me tell you a story about something that you're talking about my rather flip answer would have been everyone because wherever you are in your career, you can learn something from this book that you hadn't thought about. Um, you may, there may be more surprises and ahas if you're Stephen's 23 year old son, um, there may be um, fewer ahas and more, oh, that's what happened if you are further along in your career. But one of the linchpins to the book is a personal communication assessment. And it's not designed to figure out your communication skills. It's designed to help you understand who you are as a communicator. How do you prepare? How do you present? What's your communication uh, style? How do you um, approach communication? And we use those understandings, if you will, after you've done the assessment throughout the book. One of the elements that we think makes our book um, unique is at the end of every chapter, there's what we call the assessment workbook. And it is um, uh, hints about what, what will work for you around this topic if you are... Um, um, holistic, or if you are meticulous, and what to watch out for, what you are, you know, where you are likely to go that might create a problem. And we recommend in the book that people read about everybody in those workbook assessments. And they're, they're, they're short, pithy, and designed to, you know, help you start to think about how you take who you are um, and make it better and how you avoid pitfalls. We suggest you read about the others that you are not, because the more you understand about the person that you are with whom you are communicating, the more successful you're going to be. This was one of the great challenges of even trying to write a book like this, because most of us have had a lot of one-on-one -on -one experience with coaching and preparing people for meetings, events, whatever. And we know one size doesn't fit all. And you, you just can't put a square peg in a round hole. So you better understand the, the size of, of that hole and, and what, where you need a little filler and where you know it's gonna slip in perfectly. So, so how, how do you tackle, how do you put out a book that theoretically is supposed to help everybody? And 
in a meaningful way. I mean, I think there's, there are a lot of magazine articles and online articles that deal with the subject matter in, you know, the top 10 things to do about being a better speaker and all, but that doesn't really get to the essence of who you are as a person. And this assessment, as, as Rebecca mentioned, is, is really, it's not long, it's not complicated, but it really helps to just give you a deeper understanding of kind of where you are. You may not, may not be happy with what you find out in each category, but you better might as well know it before you go into it. What it we found, like, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, Melanie. What we found in the testing stage, which is what you do, we, this book has academic underpinnings and probably more footnotes than I had in my doctoral dissertation, <laughs> but it doesn't read that way. But, but there's a great deal uh, behind what we are saying, because we didn't want to just tell people do this, don't do that, watch out for this. We wanted to explain why. But remember, we're trying to do this in the context of building your credibility. And so the assessment helps you understand basically how you approach communication so that you understand how you are building your, your credibility around you know, around that. So when we were testing the survey, which is what you do, um, we sent it out to a variety of, of people in all walks of life, all demographics. And what was really interesting and gratifying and um, um, made us very happy was that people's response was, oh, I hadn't thought about this, but yeah, that's true. And so it um, there weren't a lot of, oh my gosh, I never knew that I really like to prepare for if I'm going to communicate. But it was more understanding how that, um, how that meshed with other parts of what I would call your communication personality. It was fun. It was fun. And, 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 and that's not to say that we don't have some sort of do's and don'ts and how to's. I mean, there's a section about about Zoom calling in particular. And, and of course you say, you know, you don't want somebody looking like they have a plant growing out of their heads and, you know, the, those sort of basic things or, or stuff around that, that uh, distracts from your, your meeting and your presentation. But again, that's at the core of credibility. So you, you're looking for points that maybe reveal something about yourself or something about your credibility in this little, this little picture that you have created for yourself. And so th there's, it's, there's something that is just more significant than um, the placement of books behind you or, or, or whatever, whatever it is that you're, you know, that you've decided, okay, I'm setting up the camera here and we're going to, and now I want you to believe everything that I tell you. <laughs> well, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we are very much going, um, certainly because of COVID and going through the Zoom relationships, credibility is everything now because we can't, we can't reflect body language anymore in the same way because you know nine times out of ten you can't see any lower than somebody's collarbone um and I, I do like the mention that you said there about even what's behind you um I mean I've got just dull blinds behind me um but my office is quite dull <laughs> well and and again sometimes it's just simply about not distracting somebody because often people put up things that are, may mean a lot 
to them, but um, it, it just sort of takes the viewer off focus. Yes. And so uh, uh, blinds are okay because I'm not thinking anything about you based on your, your being in front of blinds. That's just now uh, Rebecca goes for the blurry look. A lot of people do that. That's non-distracting. I'm a little more distracting. Well, I had uh, noticed. I have, yes. Yeah. I, I, you know, I have a big picture of the cover of the book <laughs> and I have an Emmy award and some old radios and that's kind of, you know, but that, but that's my personal sort of verbal messaging that I, yes. that I do. One of the things we talk about that I don't think people think about is that everything communicates yeah. and it may communicate what I say above the line, meaning I notice, I know I am getting these messages. We don't think about it that way. And, but, you know, I know that I'm getting this and then there's below the line, which are the communication messages that we are getting that we don't actually realize we're getting, but still subconscious. Yeah. Yes. So it's like Um, 20,000 per second um, messages um, through subconscious, isn't it? Right. And, and in addition to that, what we say is everything you do communicates Mm -hmm. and everything you don't do communicates more loudly and is remembered far longer. So if I have answered every email you sent me within an hour and there's one email that I don't respond to for 48 hours, you are, that is what you are going to remember. And, and so you really need to think about for your credibility, um, what you want people to understand and know and why it's so important to think about these things. But um, we talk a little bit about organizations and communication culture in the book, as well as personal communication, because the organizational communication culture is the, the goldfish bowl, if you will, that you are entering when you are communicating within an organization. If you work in the organization, you probably have a sense of that. We learn it by osmosis. We learn it by the way our bosses communicate we, and things like We learn that. it by messing up. Yeah, and we, yeah. wrong. we all do. <laughs> yeah. And when we, and when we um, go into an organization that we don't know, job interview, a, um, a sales pitch, um, um, a coaching or consulting um, engagement, um, we have to assess these things pretty quickly. Mm. And so understanding that is important. From an organizational standpoint, um, I think that leaders don't understand that um, you can't tell people something once and think that it sticks. And so if you tell, if you tell people, you know, we have this big merger and we've got all these things we need to think about and we're forming teams. We'll come back and tell you when we know more. Um, you can't go away for six weeks and not tell them anything just because you think they know that if you're not communicating, it's because things are being worked out. It doesn't work that way. Um, 
communication abhors a vacuum. And when there isn't communication coming in, we make up stories. Mm. And our interpretation of the non-communication is rarely um, positive positive or, um, or supportive mm. of what, what's going on. I tell a funny story um, that um, uh, my husband, um, who's been retired longer than I at, was um, we have a vacation home about a thousand miles away and he would drive there. And one particular time, I could not get a hold of him. There were snowstorms. Um, I couldn't get him on the car phone. I mean, I just couldn't get a hold of him. And I, I'm calling our daughters. I'm calling our neighbors. And finally, he calls me and says, can you explain to me what's going on? There's all these messages from the girls. There's a note from Kathy. And what does all this mean? And I said, well, I couldn't get a hold of you. And I was, I was really worried. And he says, well, if you can't get a hold of me, assume I'm alive. I said, oh, no, 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 dearie. That's not how it works. I can't get a hold of you. I assume you're dead. <laughs> and, and that is what we do. Any parent who has waited for a child who is past curfew is pretty sure that something really terrible has happened. And that's part of the way human beings are hardwired. It's why the the species has survived. But if you don't understand that if you're not filling the communication void, people are interpreting that and create, and I say creating a story because it has no um, data or evidence to support it, but it's what we do all the time. So you actually covered um, quite expertly a, a few sections <laughs> between you. Um, so you were talking about um, leaders don't need to be one of us, let the boss be the boss. Um, the credibility crisis in leadership you've also covered as well. Um, but how to be personable without getting too personal. That's a topic I'd like to dive a little deeper in. Um, and so how do you cover this in the book? I'll let Stephen take this one. Sure. This is one of his pet topics. It is. Um, it's about boundaries and it's about understanding the depth of the relationships, which are very seductive. Um, we all want to have friends mm. and we certainly want to have friends with those who are, we're spending the most time with. And generally that is the workplace. So we are building in our minds relationships that probably are, don't have the kind of secure foundation that we would like them to have, or that we might have in our, in our, our friend friends, we'll call them Mm -hmm. uh, people that we met in college or people that are neighbors or whatever it is. So you have to establish a different set of criteria on a friendship that you have in the workplace. Um, and that's without getting into all the HR issues that, that uh, you know, the, any Me Too movements or anything mm-hmm. like that. This is really more about, again, assessing, you know, who you are, what you are contributing to the organization, what they are contributing to the organization, how you can work better with that person. But again, understanding that this is a workplace relationship that maybe when you leave, you may never see them again, or they leave, 
you may never ever see them again because because it's based on the work mm-hmm. and again it's hard to get your head around that because you don't want it to be that you you want it to be something that is deeper and more significant but, but perspective is is the key to success in a workplace relationship and if you're thinking mm-hmm. about this in terms of credibility capital um not having those boundaries that are appropriate for the workplace could lead you to reveal um, things that are going to um, impact negatively your credibility at work. And so while we all come into the office and talk a little bit about what we did over the weekend, you always want to be thinking about how does this support, if you will, the image that I am trying to portray in my workplace. And I do so- have one challenge for this, actually, before you go too far. Sure. Um, and what about the team building that you hear a lot about that businesses do, especially the larger companies? Because um, there's always going to be a winner and a loser in, in the team building um, exercises. So how, how would that be reframed using this particular um, chapter? Well, as a consultant, I would never do team building that <laughs> has um, a winner and a loser. Okay. Because that that's the, you know, the epitome of what you don't want to create. Um, and um, I think what's really important in team building is to remember that what you are coming together for is a shared goal. We're trying to create a project. We're trying to um, sell a new product. We're trying to figure out um, a supply chain issue. That you want to be focused. That's that's the goal to solve this problem to create whatever. Mm. And um, and so, I actually think the biggest issue on teams is when I have to work with somebody that I am not. I don't have a particular affinity for. And, and that's part of the reason for boundaries, as Stephen would, would, would describe it, gotcha. because we're not coming together to work on this because we're all friends and we're here to good, have a good time as we would if we were planning a party together. You know, we are coming together to achieve a goal. And so in team building, It should always be um, output focused. What are we trying to create? And then understanding why this team has been put together. What skill sets do we bring? What experiences do we bring? Um, And and then, so if you will, in in the language of groups and teams, what role will we play both in terms of the task and in creating a high-performing team. But it's not about, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get more credit than you're going to get, than you're going to get. And that's an important element. Now, from a, the book perspective, if you will, if you're going into that, what are you bringing to the table? You know, in effect, here's my credibility capital you know, and I'm putting it here. This is what this is why I can make a contribution. And 
if everybody comes in with that perspective, again, looking at what are we going to try to um, end up with? What's our output? Um, you can have a you can have an extremely effective team, even if you've got a few people who just rub each other the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, team building ha has been so misused, I think, in our opinion, um, especially because consultants come in and they are serving who hired them. And the person that hired them probably is just looking to drive sales uh, and, you know, the, the most basic way. And for many, it's we're going to establish these teams are going to go at each other. And if they challenge each other enough, then they're going to push each other to sell more. I mean, that is kind of what it, for that's what people, it boils down. That's to. really what it boils down to. Yeah. Um, but, but the reality is again, you know, as, as Rebecca describes, it is about the talents and the credibility of the members of the team and how they work together, how they solve problems and challenges together. That's really what makes a good team. And in the long run, those are the ones who are going to be more successful and sell more. It's not just about who climbs the pole faster and grabs the flag. It's about how they learned how to climb, how they learned how to deal with challenges. And that's, you know, th that's what makes a good team. It's, it's not just about throwing a bunch of, you know, people together and, and seeing who survives. I want to make one quick point, if I may, because um, uh, it's more than it's it's not just the people who are selling. It is at every level of the organization um, there, you know, that every work unit ideally um, is um, is a team that is um, focused on what that work unit is supposed to produce. And what's my piece of, you know, of, of that? Um, all too often organizations um, along the lines of what Stephen was talking about, think that they can get more through um, internal um, um, competition. And um, you may in the short term, but the damage you do to the organization, the organization's communication culture. And in organizations like that, um, you do not have long-lived employees. Hmm. Or the ones you have become so insecure because you've forced Jaded. them it, yeah, into a situation where they are just not going to blossom and be hmm. successful. And then so, they leave. Well, yes. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to build better credibility. And uh, I'm, I am gonna jump back on this again, um, Rebecca, where you re referred to Star Trek earlier on. Um, and yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a Trekkie. So am uh, I. <laughs> and the culture that's um, being portrayed throughout, especially um, the next gen, and even through to the Orville, um, is that there is no money being made. Um, it's all done by credibility. That's how you get jobs. That's how you get housing. Um, can oh, I'm you so sorry. <laughs> can you see that that's being um, something that you might actually, you know, eventually happen, that the importance of credibility is way up there? Um, I think that... Um, I think that... <laughs> That's my husband's phone and I'm hoping he'll answer it. Um, the, 
Okay. Um, I, I think that in, um, for this, these, this younger generation, I'm a boomer. Um, these younger generations um, have a more self-focused perspective at their core than, um, than boomers did. And, and even to some extent, the generation that followed us. Um, part of what goes into the millennial generation and, and what is coming up behind them called Gen Z. And I actually think this is universal um, in the developed world, which is um, they, they were the children it, whose parents worried about them. Um, in the States, we call it helicopter parenting. Um, these are not children that went running in and playing ball in the street. These are not kids who left the house at 10 in the morning, came back for lunch and went away again and came back at five for dinner. Um, these parents knew where these children were all the time. Our own daughter would not let us drive her children when they were very little. Um, you know, she had to, you know, be, um, um, in charge, you know, because she was so worried. Um, um, forgot the fact that she had been raised and survived <laughs> by these people, but that's another story. Um, and so when they come into an organization, they're there as long as it's fun, you know, and fun. When I say fun at work, I'm not talking about parties and things, but I mean that I am. I am engaged. I, I look forward to coming to work Sunday night. Not, Sunday night is not the worst night of the week. Um, and I'm learning and I'm growing. We call this leased employees. In other words, they are, you're leasing them as opposed to my husband worked at the same company for 35 years. I think you're going to be hard pressed to find a millennial who will do that. And that. And then if I feel like I'm not growing or you're not support or whatever, I'm gone. And in the post COVID world, particularly in the States, I mean, that's part of the reason why there's so many people leaving jobs and such, because the COVID experience said, you know, life's too short. I, this job is not doing it for me. And there's demand. So it, certainly when there's a time when there's an oversupply of employees, it's a little harder to do that. Hmm. But I, 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 unscientifically, I would bet that 75% of all millennials are checking job boards, have up-to-date um, LinkedIn profiles, um, have made sure that their resume is ready to go at a moment's notice because they are agile. And that has a big effect on, on organizations. And part of the problem is organizations are, are usually 10 to 15 years behind in terms of their culture and where their culture needs to be in the moment. Cultures are like the Queen Mary. They turn very slowly. Wow. And so good example. Leader, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a brilliant example. Yeah. 
Now, if you're a leader or a manager or a supervisor or whatever, if you are not paying close attention, hmm. face it, the people who leave are the people you wanted to keep. Yeah. And so we think all of that is bound up um, in the way communication works within organizations and works for people who work in organizations. Um, we're working on a second book that will be more organizationally focused, looking at creating an incredible communication culture hmm. within any kind of organization. Because although we talk about that in one chapter in this book, we think there's a great deal of depth there, but you'll have to wait a while longer for that. For book. the next one. <laughs> So, so what do you say, Stephen? Um, Rebecca's tired of hearing me say this, but um, COVID was the fast forward button for a lot of businesses and sort of self-analysis. And there's a lot of all of this that was going on, sort of bubbling under the, under the surface mm. that COVID forced to the front. And some of that, was this uh, was this credibility, and and as she said, yes, the younger people are not apt to stay in the same place, so they need to be nimble enough that they have their resumes or they have their their CVs all ready to go to jump into the next situation where they feel like they can be more effective and more successful. Um, this was happening, but now it's happening at light speed. So, so there, so there is much more movement. And then if you have more movement, then the corporations have to sit up and take notice and say, well, so why are we losing these people? You know, what, what, what is, is it, is it just about working at home or is there something else going on here? So there's the fast forward for the self-examination of the corporation and what they are providing. And I've found it so fascinating to read the endless story, say, in the Wall Street Journal, where basically people don't know. They don't know what's coming. They, the, this past 18 months have just been terrible for, for journalists and for consultants because they're, they're having to kind of speculate mm. as to what is going to be the next thing. And as we all know, business does not particularly like that level of uncertainty, but we have been forced into a situation where, you know, just the act of losing people or, or how to make a better environment for them or how to help them understand the communication culture of that organization, it's, it's come, become dollars and cents. Mm -hmm. they, are, they have to address these issues to keep the best people. Okay, well, that's certainly plenty to think about. Um, this has genuinely been one of the most compelling interviews I've had in quite some time, guys. Um, Thank you. You've Thank you. definitely given me a huge amount to think about and applications that I'm already doing that I hadn't realised as well, which is interesting. Um, so well, I hope our listeners find this as interesting. Um, Rebecca, why don't you tell us where can we learn more about your book and where can we purchase it and when is it available from? 
February 17th is when the book will be released. Um, it's available um, online. It's available in uh, hard copy, in ebook, um, and audio. And um, so um, I know in the States, it's going to be at a number of different stores. Um, and um, it will be probably at your local bookstore. But in this world, everything is online. Can you pre-order? You may, and we encourage it. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. And, and Stephen, where can we learn more about yourself and Rebecca? Do you have a website? Uh, we do have an incrediblecom.com website uh, where you can sort of learn our, our histories and uh, just get a sense of what our perspective was and how we, we took, a, took on this project. And would you be open to taking questions from people? Absolutely. We, you know, I, as I said, our tendency is, has always been to work one-on-one -on -one. and um, if we could do it, if we can do that a bit with email or, you know, people questions have for us, we would be delighted to do that. Well, you've proven you can work remotely. So. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we though? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time, both of you for joining me, um, especially with the time difference in mind, bless you. <laughs> um, so that's all for now but we'll be back very soon with another podcast thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast check back every day for the latest episode you can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news on Facebook facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News on LinkedIn linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news on Instagram instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE and on TikTok tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News